Well, as you know, when Hannah and I were first married, we attended church here at Grace. We were students at Dallas Seminary. We lived in a little garage apartment with a dent in the gutter near North Park Mall. We were both full-time students at Dallas Seminary. We both had full-time jobs. We were newlyweds. Needless to say, life was a bit stressful. And I'm the kind of person, when I get stressed, I don't eat. I just kind of blow past meals and skip meals. And so when Han and I were first married, I was significantly underweight. Um, I was probably 15 pounds lighter than I am now. And so as a loving wife, one of the first things that Hannah did for me was to put me on a weight gain plan. And every evening before bed, I had a gigantic root beer float. And for months, every night before bed, I had a glorious root beer float. I became a professional root beer float maker. And I tried all the different ice creams, all the different root beers, and all the different ratios. Uh, And I got it really nailed down, I like to think. Uh, Where every night I took the right ingredients, which is bluebell ice cream, in case you were wondering. Uh, Yes, amen. And A&W root beer, with the right ratio, I produced this glorious product that when infused into my body, produced growth. (laughs) And this morning, as we turn our attention back to the book of Ephesians, as we start into chapter four, the very practical half of the book of Ephesians, the apostle Paul is going to give his recipe for biblical growth there at the church in Ephesus. You can see on your outline, we're gonna take a look at Paul's recipe for biblical growth together this morning. First, we're gonna see all of the necessary ingredients, number one on your outline, that are gonna be infused into the body, that's verses four through 11, that's gonna produce the type of growth that the Apostle Paul has in mind. That's number three on your outline. So grab your Bible, grab your outline. Let's look at number one first, the ingredients. Ephesians 4, one through three. Paul says this, therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace." Now, these are the ingredients that Paul has in mind to produce this growth that we'll talk about here in just a bit. But let's look first at the ingredients. Notice again, verse one, chapter four, Paul says this, therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you, implore you. The word for implore, I love this word. It's really a term of endearment. It means to, to really to comfort someone, to call them alongside. It's a term that a parent might use for their child. If you have kids or grandkids, you've probably had that experience where you call them to your side and maybe you even get down on a knee and you look at them at an eye level. You're imploring them with something to do. Paul says, listen, 
to the church in Ephesus, listen, I implore you, I'm begging you, I want you to look me eye to eye and I've got something good for you. Notice what he wants them to do. He says, I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. What Paul is looking the Ephesians in the eye, face to face, imploring them to do, speaking tenderly to them, saying, listen, here's what I I need you to do for me. I want you to walk worthy of the calling with which you've been called. The word for worthy really means to, to have an equal balance. And he wants to be an equal balance, their calling and their conduct. For three chapters now, Paul has been talking about the Ephesians' calling and how they've been called in this group, the body of Christ, the church, Jew and Gentile together, reconciled to God, reconciled to one another. And now he's begging them, he's imploring them that their calling and their conduct would be an equal balance. That they would live out the faith that is near and dear to them. Now, Paul is a realist. He understands this high calling to which he's calling the church in Ephesus. And so, in the, in the following verses, he gives the five necessary ingredients, the five things he's wanting them to line up their calling and their conduct. Let's take a look at these five necessary ingredients. The first one is humility. Notice verse 2. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called with all humility. The first key ingredient for the type of growth the Apostle Paul has in mind is humility. Now in the Greco-Roman world, humility was not a virtue to which you aspired. Humility was something you didn't want in the Greco-Roman world, but for the Apostle Paul, humility is a necessary ingredient to biblical growth. So what is humility? Um, Some pastor somewhere that I stole this from said that humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Biblical humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's not denying who God has created you to be, this person created in the image of God. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. It's realizing you're not the center of God's universe and acting as though that was true. So the first necessary ingredient we see here is humility. The second one we see, notice verse two, with all humility and gentleness, with all humility and gentleness. Some translations have meekness. Meekness and weakness, by the way, are not the same thing. Sometimes when we hear that word gentle or meek, we think someone who's weak, who's passive, but that's not the idea. Aristotle said that this uh, gentleness is the mean, the middle between excessive anger and no anger at all. Aristotle said meekness, gentleness is the mean, the middle between excessive anger on the one hand and no anger at all on the other hand. In other words, it's really power under control. It's getting angry at the right things at the right time, righteous anger, 
but not getting angry at the wrong things at the wrong time. So the second key ingredient we see here, this power under control, is gentleness. The third key ingredient that the Apostle Paul has in mind here is patience. Patience. Notice again verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience. Patience is the third key ingredient. Uh, Patience is the endurance of grief. Patience is remaining tranquil in times of adversity. And again, Paul is a realist. Paul understands what he's been saying, that now in Christ, in the church, you have these opposing groups of people, Jews and Gentile, reconciled together in the body of Christ, reconciled to one another. But Paul's a realist. He knows that anytime you throw opposing groups of people in the same room and expect them to get along with one another, it's going to take patience, right? He realizes that there in the church in Ephesus, there are some people who require just an extra dose of patience. Now, he's not talking about any of you in this room. I mean, all of you are great. None of you require extra patience, right? Um, He's just talking about the church in Ephesus. The fourth key ingredient to this growth that the Apostle Paul has in mind with all humility and gentleness, with patience, number four, showing tolerance for one another in love. Tolerance is the fourth key ingredient. Now, we have to be careful here because our culture's definition of tolerance and Paul's definition of tolerance are not the same thing. The culture tells us that tolerance is putting up with one another's sin, even celebrating other people's sin, right? But that's not what the Apostle Paul has in mind here. I like how the Net Bible translated uh, this phrase. It's putting up with one another in love. Again, you know the kind of people you have to put up with in the body of Christ. In fact, some of you probably are thinking about a particular person sitting on the other side of the sanctuary who you have to put up with, right? This is the person. Let's be honest. It's okay. Uh, these are, there are people in this room who you have to tolerate. You don't necessarily like them. You wouldn't get along with them outside of the church. These are the kind of people, I don't know if you've had this experience, if you see them in the commons walking towards you, your gut reaction is to duck into the bathroom or to pull out your cell phone and pretend you've got a phone call, right? And Paul knows that anytime you throw a bunch of people in the same room, we've got to put up with one another. This is one of the beautiful things about God's creation of the church is that we're not all from the same backgrounds. We don't all share the same perspectives. And sometimes we simply have to tolerate one another and put up with one another in love. That's the fourth key ingredient. The fifth key ingredient we see here. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. And then notice verse three, being diligent. Here's the fifth ingredient. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. The fifth key ingredient here is diligence. Diligence to preserve or to keep intact 
the unity that the Spirit brought in the bond of peace. Being diligent, literally, do whatever it takes. Do whatever it takes to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Notice that last phrase, thinking about this idea of unity. He says, being diligent, doing whatever it takes to maintain, to preserve the unity of the Spirit. Notice the last phrase, in the bond of peace. I love that word, bond. Uh, The word for bond simply describes something that brings two other things together. Bond is something that brings two other things together. Paul says, bringing together, preserving the unity of spirit in the bond of peace. The Jace Cloud paraphrase of that word bond is zipper. Zipper. Because think about it. In my weight gain plan that Hannah put me on, I had all the necessary ingredients It was infused into my body in the form of a root beer float, and it produced growth. And in fact, it produced a little too much growth to the point that it became more and more difficult to button the top button of my pants. And if you've ever been in those days, then you know the beauty of the invention of a zipper. Because a zipper is designed to bring together two pieces of fabric that want to have nothing to do with one another. Every force in the world, it seems, is trying to rip these two pieces of fabric apart, but the zipper forces them together. And Paul says that the peace that Christ brings is the zipper that brings us together, Jew and Gentile in the body of Christ. When everything wants to rip us apart, the peace of Christ holds us together. So here we see the necessary ingredients for growth, humility, gentleness, patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the zipper of peace. The right ingredients will produce necessary growth if it's infused into the body. Let's take a look at number two on your outline, the body. Notice verses four through six first. Paul says there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Let's pause right there. Now, you don't need a degree from Dallas Seminary to pick up on what Paul is laying down here. He's emphasizing that word one, the unity of this body of Christ, the church, Jew and Gentile together. Notice again the repetition of the word one. One body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. One body, one church united together. Notice interestingly as well, when Paul talks about this idea of being one body, he incorporates all members of the Trinity in this. Notice he says there's one body and one spirit. He says there's one Lord. 
that's Jesus. And one God and Father, that's God the Father. The Spirit, the Son, and the Father really are the foundation of the unity that we're to experience here in the body of Christ. But even though we're united, even though there's one body, what Paul describes next is that there is a diversity of gifts, a diversity of people, of individuals that contribute to this body. Let me read for you verses 7 through 10. He says, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives and gave gifts to men. Now, this expression, he ascended, what does it mean? Except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. Are you confused? Uh, Listen, these, these are very controversial, confusing verses. And I don't have the time, nor am I going to take the time to get into all the various different views of how these have been interpreted. Um, There are doctoral dissertations written on these verses alone. If you want to read those, go down to Dallas Seminary, go to the library, check them out, and read it. All I want you to know, let's boil this down to utter simplicity. Paul here is using Psalm 68 as his guide. And I think the image that Paul is using here is that of a warrior going out to battle and once he has conquered his enemies, he collects the spoils of war and then he distributes those gifts, those spoils of war to his faithful followers. And that's the basic image that Paul is painting in the minds of the church in Ephesus here. That Jesus at his death, burial, and resurrection has conquered the enemy of sin and death and now is distributing the gifts, the spoils of war to his body, to his faithful followers. That's the basic idea here. And this, by the way, is one of the, another one of the beautiful things about the gospel where Jesus in his death and resurrection, he has forgiven us of our sins. He has made us right with God. And then while we are here on earth to serve him, he also equips us with different gifts that he expects us to use in service to him. But listen, those of you in this room, those of you watching online, if you've never trusted in Jesus as your savior, I wanna give you this opportunity right now, right where you are, right where you're watching in this room or at home to trust in Jesus for the gift the forgiveness of your sins. And on top of that, he also equips you with gifts to serve the body of Christ. If you've never trusted in Jesus, right where you are, you can simply trust, put your faith in him. So what are some of the gifts, some of the gifts that Jesus has given to the church? Notice verse 11. And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. Here's a partial list of the 
gifts that Jesus has given to the body of Christ to serve him. Again, a lot could be said in these verses, but um, I believe that the gifts of apostles and prophets were for the early church, but that the gifts of evangelist and pastor slash teacher are still gifts that are in operation today. And so we see here really how Jesus gifted the church in the early church with the foundational gifts of the apostles and the prophets, and he still gives the gifts of evangelists, those who share the gospel, and then pastor-teacher, which I believe is one, uh, two churches today. Now listen, I know that there are some questions you have about these verses, and you probably want to hear more. And I can speak with you after the service. We have some really smart people in this room who probably know this better than I do. Um, go talk to Fred Shea or, or somebody uh, if you have questions. Fred, thank you for letting me volunteer you uh, for this. But this is the body. Notice again, many gifts given to one unified body. If you take the right ingredients, which we saw number one on your outline, you infuse them into the body, then it's going to produce growth. And that's what I want to see as we take a look at number three on your outline. Jesus gave these gifts to the body, notice verse 12, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we're no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part, notice this, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Here's really where I want us to focus our attention, number three, the growth that Paul has in mind how he wants the church in Ephesus to grow. Notice in these verses the repetition of words like stature and fullness and growth to a mature man. Again, verse 12, Paul says that Jesus gave all of these gifts for the equipping of the saints. That's you. The role of an evangelist, the role of a pastor and teacher, my job here at Grace is to equip you, the saints, to do what? To do the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ. My job is to serve you so that you can go out and serve others. And this is gonna happen to the building up, notice the last phrase there, the building up of the body of Christ. Again, number three on your outline, what Paul is emphasizing in these verses is the type of growth that he wants to see in the church. And there are five areas I want to highlight. Five areas where Paul wants to see the church in Ephesus put on the pounds, so to speak. Put on some weight. Let's take a look at each of these five areas. Number one is in common doctrine. 
Notice verse 13. The first area where Paul wants to see growth in the church in Ephesus is in common doctrine. Verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man. The first area where Paul wants to see the church in Ephesus grow is in the unity of the faith, a common doctrine. This is why churches like Grace, we have doctrinal statements because we believe that we should come together around a core set of beliefs. And notice why. Paul even tells us why here, verse 14, because as a result, we're no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. We come together, we grow around a common doctrine so we don't get sidetracked by false teaching. So Paul, the first area he identifies that he wants the church in Ephesus to grow in is in a common doctrine. The second area, he wants them to grow together in Christ-likeness. Notice verse 13 at the end. To the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Paul wants the church in Ephesus to grow in conformity to the image of Christ. Paul wants the church in Ephesus to grow, to be more and more like Jesus, that the purpose, the goal for all of us in this room should be to be more and more like Jesus, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Are you picking up on the growth language here? The goal of every Christian church is to be more and more like Jesus. That's why we're here. The third area where the Apostle Paul wants to see growth is in speaking the truth in love. Notice verse 15. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. Speaking the truth in love. Some of your translations might have living the truth in love. And really both ideas are important, both speaking the truth and living out the truth in love. That in our words and in our conduct, remember there to be an equal balance with one another. What we uh, say is our calling and how we conduct ourselves are to be an equal balance. In both word and in conduct, we're to speak and live the truth of what we believe. The fourth area where Paul wants to see growth, where Paul wants to see the church put on the pounds is in serving. Notice verse 16. From whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies. Notice that phrase. By what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body. The fourth area where Paul wants to see the church in Ephesus grow is in a church where everybody is serving, where we recognize how God has gifted each and every person, and they're encouraged to use those gifts in service to the entire body of Christ. Each individual part, everyone serving how God has equipped them. I've heard it said that many churches, unfortunately, are like football games. You have 22 people on the field who are in desperate need of rest 
And you have 60,000 people in the stands who are in desperate need of exercise. (laughs) In the body of Christ, everyone's on the field. Everyone's contributing for the mutual growth of the body as a whole. That's the fourth area. The fifth and final area we see here at the end of verse 16, Paul says, causes the growth of the body, notice this, for the building up of itself in love. Love is the fifth area where Paul wants the church in Ephesus to grow. Love is a key word in the book of Ephesians. We see it repeated over and over again in the book. Love is a major theme, major word, and Paul wants the church in Ephesus to grow in their love for one another. We'll talk about this in coming weeks. So these are the five areas where Paul wants the church in Ephesus to grow. Here in Ephesians 4, 1 through 16, we see Paul's recipe for biblical growth. We see that we need all the necessary ingredients, things like humility and patience and tolerating one another. These need to be infused into the body of Christ and it will produce the growth that the Apostle Paul has in mind. This is the text. So how do we apply it? There in your worship guide, I've given you some application questions to consider. But your one thing for this week is this. I want you to enjoy the growth Some of you probably noticed that out in the commons, we had a great group of deacons who got all the necessary ingredients for us to enjoy root beer floats together after church. And so uh, out in the commons, as soon as church is out, we have Bluebell ice cream and A&W root beer, and we are going to rejoice and celebrate as we grow together in the Lord. And by the way, if you see that person who you had in mind earlier that you have to tolerate, I don't want you to duck into the bathroom or pretend you got a phone call, um, but go up and say hello. If you have a lot of people coming up to you saying hello. (laughs) So today I'm putting you on a weight gain plan. Bluebell ice cream, A&W root beer. We're not gonna hold you in suspense anymore. We're gonna sing one more song after I pray and then we'll go celebrate our growth in the Lord together. Let's pray. Father, thank you. For the body of Christ, the church, thank you for each and every person here and help us by the power of your spirit to be a people with all of the necessary ingredients, humility, gentleness, patience, tolerating one another in love, being diligent, doing whatever it takes to preserve the unity of the spirit in the zipper of peace. God, help us to be united. Empower us to serve one another with the gifts you have given to us. And as simple as it sounds, God, thank you for Bluebell ice cream, for A&W root beer. And when they come together, they make this tasty treat. And I pray that as we celebrate together, this would be just a small taste of the greater beauty of the church and how you bring together people with all the right ingredients to grow the body of Christ. And most of all, Father, we thank you for your son, in whose name we pray, and we get to celebrate today. Amen.